Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Twenty sixteen, what a year it has been. Donald Trump is President of the United States of America. Boris Johnson is our Foreign Secretary. But at least Boris Johnson is only our Foreign Secretary. <laughs> Donald Trump is the leader of the free world. Where was the American Michael Gove when we fucking needed him? <laughs> Boris Johnson, of course, a dangerous bullshitter. Three documented affairs, conceiving two love children. He had to write different articles, didn't he, to work out how he felt about Brexit. Presumably he had to sleep with different women to work out how he felt about infidelity. <laughs> this is the man who said he went into politics because as journalists, he said, you never get statues built for you. What sort of masochistic narcissist dreams of themselves immortalised in bronze being shat on by pigeons? <laughs> but the question we have to ask ourselves, would he be even any good as a statue? And of course, do you think he could stand there for all eternity, motionless for his country? Of course he couldn't. After about a week, he'd be discovered somewhere near the A1, molesting the Angel of the North. <laughs> of course, the economic implications of Brexit never really seemed to kick into Britain, did it? Until we were threatened that we wouldn't have Marmite on the shelves. And that we might have to buy Vegemite instead. Oh, Middle Britain was furious, wasn't it? That foreign nonsense coming over here with its added celery and onion. If I want concentrated leftover brewer's yeast, I want British concentrated leftover brewer's yeast. I mean, who first got some leftover brewer's yeast and said, oh, I'm going to put a little bit of that on my toast? Oh, I'll let that ferment in my stomach. And after that, I'll get a teaspoon. I'll whack that in a mug. I'll pour boiling water on that. And that'll make a lovely hot drink that tastes of salt and slippers. <laughs> People say to people like me, they go, oh, you stand up, sure, right, aren't you? You've got loads of new material now. What do you have to worry about the economic implications? And let me tell you, I've been an actor for 25 years. I know what austerity looks like. And the fact that none of you here 
actually associate me with acting. <laughs> that shows you how much austerity I've been through, ladies and gentlemen. So would you please welcome our three guests for tonight, Dr. Sarah Wollaston, MP, the former political editor of The Guardian, Michael White, and Miles Jupp. Thank you very much for coming, everybody. Welcome along. This is the Slacktivist Action Group. To sort of get us going, we always like to start off with a little confession, the idea that we're not all as good at things as we might be. So let's start off with you, Mars. Can you give us a little confession to the Slacktivist Action Group, something that in an ideal world you might not be quite as slack as as you are? Well, I wish I could remember all my passwords, for instance. <laughs> this, what we're doing a lot of online. I know I shouldn't shop online. I am always shop local, but I don't. But you, you've got to, you know, you've, well, you just can't, not this late. Um, no, normally I do for 11 and a half months of the year. But, you, you know, someone that has your bank details and yet some sort of tiny password of yours. Do you think, just go easy now. Just now, it's definitely me. It's my laptop. You've, you've known all my addresses. You've known all my credit cards. The least, just fucking let me into your website. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But there's a lot, I don't generally agree with being slack. I always read an incredible statistic where almost 50% of certain people, uh, some demographic, where their password is actually the word password. Yeah. How stupid do you have to be? You go, I need a password. Or oh, the only one I can remember, password. That'll do. Nobody else will have thought of that. But That's Hillary I... Clinton, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think laws should generally be a bit sort of vaguer and whatever, and whereas people get into trouble for something and they go, well, technically it's not against the law, but I think people should be able to sort of make their own decisions and go, I know it's not against the law, but you're being an arse, so you're, you're going down. Uh, what, <laughs> whatever it might be. I well, we, some... we look forward to your going to the bar at some point, yeah. and uh, <laughs> Judge Jeffries will have nothing on <laughs> Judge Jupp. <laughs> I was going to offer to the group, I would like to be slightly less slack on clickbait. Because they give you those little pictures and they look enticing with a little caption underneath, whatever it is. Oh, click on this and you'll be able to see your celebrity be able to get their fashion for nine quid in Matalan or something. And you think, oh, I'll click on that, I want to see what that looks like. And then, of course, you know, sometimes you go out, you buy the clothes, come home, you look nothing like the celebrity you were supposed (laughs) to look like. You just look like somebody who spent nine quid in Matalan. (laughs) Well, there's one. Guess what they look like now? You know, you, you'll never guess what the uh, you know the county championship winning Warwickshire side from 1994 look like now. And you think I have to know. Yeah. And you press it. And of course, they're well, they're just all sort of fat men, many of whom have been in rehab. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Michael, what what would you like to offer to the group? Well, the first thing I've got to offer is I must change one of my passwords, which is password. Excellent. Um, <laughs> well, apart from that, and apart from the fact that, with hindsight, Doctor, I should have been kinder to my kidneys. With, you know, next time, next You'll time, liver, I think. You'll next liver. time, I'll look after them better. I just, so I'm beginning to get an uneasy feeling I haven't done it right. Um, but that apart, I'd be probably more careful with personal hygiene. Uh, I've been... <laughs> it's a bit late for that one, is it, yeah, Michael? Or... It is, I know, but uh, I'm better than I was. When I first <laughs> met my wife, I used to uh, clean my socks by sprinkling them with aftershave. And <laughs> I don't do that anymore. I'm better. How much better, I'll tell well, you Is she time. still with you, Michael? Or... Yeah, most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, I bet she's thinking, oh, I miss it. I miss issue. that aftershave <laughs> from the socks. That's what I used to love about him, that was. <laughs> Sarah, what about you? She's a lucky girl, Michael. <laughs> no meat on uh, New Year's resolutions. 
Yeah, I'm yeah. just going to lie next time. I'm going to go for, I'm going to put on a stone. I'm not going to read any novels. Uh, what else, mate? Or I just make it all up. Yeah. yeah. It's a stupid time to, to say you're giving up stuff, isn't it? Middle of winter, you know, you just had the Christmas festivities, you're a bit miserable. You know, it's the time to indulge. If you're going to make some resolutions, make them on April the 1st, and then you definitely don't have to keep them, do you? <laughs> Let's talk a little bit. You've obviously been a busy lady uh, recently, Sarah. You are the chair of the, um, the Health Select Committee. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming along. You also got your seat through an open primary, one of these things where basically the whole constituency gets to vote, not just the Conservative uh, members, and obviously a very open-minded policy. In fact, you've proved so open-minded as a constituent MP, as it were, they haven't done it very often subsequently. <laughs> you know, this idea that you were, you know, you so take in the views of all constituents, the idea that you're not slavishly going after what the central office say. I mean, surely, given the fact that you speak your own mind so much, every chance of being foreign secretary fairly shortly. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll leave my number later. Yeah. But you're a fan of open primaries. Yeah. I, and we should I, have more, more of I, them. Yeah, and I talk to politicians from the States and I say, uh, he asks how much they spend on their open primary and they ask me and I say nothing. Nothing at all. It's just impossible for that to happen in the States. That's probably why we've ended up where we are. Well, what do you make of um, Boris uh, now, every time he opens his mouth, we then hear that these are not the government views, don't we? This seems to be... <laughs> he's, he's the third most powerful person in the government. If they're not the government's views, you're thinking, who actually does represent the government? We know that Theresa likes to keep her cards very close to her chest, but surely she could tell Boris what the government's view is <laughs> at some point. But on that last one that he actually said about Saudi Arabia, in some ways everybody was thinking, well, of all the things that Boris has said, how come actually this one isn't the government's view? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> Boris, I mean, he, he, we found out this week, didn't we, the water cannon, for instance, that he bought as London mayor that he said he was willing to have it tested on. They're going to sell it now, aren't they? Sell it, massive loss, you know, the London taxpayers. But even worse than that, they're selling it untested. We've missed a trick there, haven't we, for Christmas? Get the Foreign Secretary back on his zip wire, coming down, and then firing back up with the water cannon. Do you think um, they'd wash my socks? It could, it could just work. The water cannon may be all that's, you know, the only option left to us, I suppose. Have they been, didn't he try and pimp them up, though? But he put stereos and stuff in them, didn't he? He did. He, pimp, he pimped them up for absolutely no reason. It wasn't to... Wasn't quite, quite why you want to listen to Ness and Dormer was you're hosing people down, I've no... <laughs> Well, it is like, like, presumably like sort of fighter pilots listening to another one bites the dust and stuff like that during the <laughs> Iraq war and stuff. Presumably if you're operating, a, you know, you want something that sort of gets you, gets you up and going, don't you? Or, or if you're someone that struggles with guilt about something, then you need some music that calms you down while you're sort of hosing down protesters and things like that. I'd have thought it would be useful. Well, they, they, it's always water cannons are always thrown into the same thing as plastic bullets, but I always think there's a big difference between the two. Water cannon's no fun to be part of, but it, it does sound like you could have a bit of a laugh if you're in your bathers. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I've been water cannon, down. it's no fun at all. No, thank you very much. I no, thought you might put... They, put... they put filthy stuff in it as well. It's a thing. Sarah, the lot of debate this week about social care, how to fund it. One of the suggestions that it's going to go ahead is they're now going to be able to up the council tax by 3% mm -hmm. for a couple of years. In terms of... Uh, how best to fund it. They were saying that this wasn't the best way because you actually raise different amounts of money in the country depending on how much the increase. They were saying that this will raise 15 quid per head in Richmond, 
but only five quid per head in either Manchester or Newham. So, you know, presumably the moral of that is if you are getting old in either Newham or Manchester, try and head to Richmond as quickly as you can. <laughs> It's also that more people who live in Richmond can afford to fund their own care, whereas they can't in poorer parts. So it's very much not so. the way, the way Why is it, is it fair for it to be uh, money raised locally rather than nationally? Or is it just, is it demented? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Sorry, No, I think we need to fund it nationally. Um, yeah. It's like some people say, well, you should save up. But you wouldn't save up in case your house burnt down. You buy insurance, and that's what we should be doing. We should have national insurance to cover health and social care and fund it all together. And we need to be prepared to pay more. It's just that everybody thinks that somebody else should pay more. That's the problem we face. Um, and we, we do need to pay more. You were on Question Time a couple of weeks ago, and you were saying, well, how it's funded is not necessarily up to you, it's up to the government. Mm. But presumably you have a view on, on how it should yeah, be funded. I do, I do have a view. And there, there are lots of things set out. We don't need another Royal Commission. That'll just kick it into the long grass for years. We've already had all the options set up and we need all political parties to get around the table, get real. <coughs> that we're living longer, the scale of the increase in demand that we face is enormous. And we're just not getting to grips with it. So we need to be prepared to pay more um, for political parties to get together and decide that what that is. And uh, there's a whole long list of those if people want to go away and look at them. Uh, but I think as well we need some intergenerational fairness here as well. So I think that the suggestions that have been put forward by Frank Field are very good. In terms of your party obviously reducing corporation tax, mm -hmm. also reducing the amount uh, of tax inspectors at HMRC when supposedly for any given wealthy individual, for every one pound mm. that you actually invest in HMRC, you supposedly get 75 pounds back in what, extra... from comedians who... Well, that's, this, 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 this is my point, very much so. <laughs> Apparently they've only got enough resources to actually investigate 35 wealthy individuals a year. So that's if you happen to be the 36th person on the list, <laughs> you're feeling fairly confident. Yeah. The one that you refer to, Jimmy Carr, 675 people supposedly in that scheme. So depending on where you are, Carr came a bit too early down the <laughs> alphabet and uh, he was number 34 or whatever. Yeah, P's going to be fine, isn't P, it? P, absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, obviously, in terms of the choices that you, you face, in some ways, people would like you to speak up for health very much when it comes to priorities and in some ways it doesn't appear to be quite such a priority for your party. Well, I think it's, it's, it's coming home. The trouble is everyone's distracted by Brexit, but this is the really key issue we face at home and so we need to get to grips with it. Well, Michael, you, you've been working for the Health Service Journal now for, for many, many years. Not many people know that. No, well, you, you told me, so I know that, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you were saying for 40 years, I mean, you know, you've, you've been around almost as long as the health service in terms of writing about it. What, how, how, do you, Long, how, do you make, uh, how do you make out the current crisis? How serious is it? It's pretty serious because the government, although the health service has had a better deal than most other services, uh, there's more demand. Uh, people like me are stubbornly refusing to die when we should. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> You've looked after your kidneys too well, Michael. That's what it is. Well, that's, um, uh, I'll let you know. Um, the, uh, oops. Oh, oh, oh. Ah, um, the, 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 and there's more demand because more people coming in, more babies being born again. So it's, it's scary. And... Um, you know, we all expect more from the NHS. And the Daily Mail expects more from the NHS. Every day it's highlighting its successes. 
But, you know, Sarah's being modest because she's a nice person. Uh, Labour, too late in the day, tried to set up this deal for insurance on health in 2010, and some smart aleck in the Tory campaign nicknamed it the death tax. Anyone remember that? It was a deal which would have capped your contributions and it would have spread the load a bit from Richmond to Manchester. And it didn't happen, and everybody's been scared of it since. And they're still scared of it. There we go. So we just rename it the good tax and we're away. The life tax. The life tax. Yeah. We've cracked it. That's it. Well, you, you obviously, you swapped sides in the referendum, Sarah, in, in terms of uh, you weren't so happy with what was on the side of the bus, the 350 million per week. Um, yeah. Now, people saying, well, if Brexit means Brexit, then surely 350 million pounds a week to the NHS means 350 million pounds a week to the NHS. And the Leave camp saying now, well, we only said, let's fund the NHS. There was a possibility. That was one of the things that could happen. Almost like, well, you know, we give them 350 million a week. We could also have five pounds pocket money a week. Or, you know, we could all have a rollover jackpot a week. Or we could all spend 995 pounds on a pair of leather trousers a week. Whatever, whatever it might be. So basically meaningless if they're just saying that. What's going to happen to that 350 million, would you say? Well, first of all, we've got the photos to prove they really did say it. It's good. And it's not going to happen. It was never going to happen. And I think as well that the awful thing was that they knew it wasn't going to happen. But they kind of reckoned that you just had to keep talking about a big number. And the more people talked about it not being the right number, the more people remembered the original number. And it was the biggest non-fact of the campaign, the one that most people remembered. There we are. Well, and now Farage is saying, oh, well, if it was 200 million, it would have been absolutely fine, because that was, the, the, in fact, the, the amount that we pay them roughly per week. But even that's not going to happen for the NHS, is it? it the, even, the even the reduced number is a lie. The key thing is the economy. That's the point. What's going to happen to the economy over the next few years? That's the, that's the key thing that's going to fund our NHS. <laughs> she sounds a bit like a Ramona, doesn't she? <laughs> By refusing to say the economy is going to go through the stratosphere, she is a defeatist and um, an enemy of the people, I think. Is <laughs> we know where you live. <laughs> so, Miles, you're, you're on tour at the moment. You are, um, yeah, I'm about you, to start again. Yeah. Yes, Songs of Freedom. Now, uh, I, I, read, uh, I read the list of things that are included in this. Um, quite a lot of things. The sexes. Also, uh, you were talking about lost stuff. Uh, yeah. Social media, manners and medicine. It sounds like a, a very uh, heavily structured show, if I may say so, it, rather it, than just a random collection of jokes. What might me? I think a random collection of jokes would have been a more honest description of it. That was my, that was, but, it's my sort of post-truth pitch of a show. I'm insisting that I'm going to talk about things that I then never address when I turn up, possibly. I did, I, for instance, I, well, sometimes you, you, know, you write those things months in advance of, of the show, yeah. uh, and then obviously you have to sort of think, oh, I said I was going to talk about medicine, but I haven't thought of anything funny about medicine for uh, six months, so I'll, you know, sort of shelve that or whatever. Like the hipsters, I wrote a lot of stuff about hipsters, uh, uh, which you might sort of do at a tryout night in London, and people go, yeah, aren't they annoying? You know, cool people get in the way and stuff like that. And then you, you go to, uh, you know, get on a train for 40 minutes, and people go, we're not interested in this. They don't affect our lives in any way. The hipster is yet to touch Swindon. Or whatever. <laughs> 
<laughs> whatever it is. And so after a while, you sort of, you know, part of that. So I wrote an incredibly lengthy piece about re- relieving myself in I mean, graphic detail. <laughs> and I'd... Uh, in they way, don't was, do that in Swindon either? Or? No, no one... No, 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 there, no one oh, been on public record is using a lavatory there since 1964. No, there's no... <laughs> I, I, again, it was just, turns out, not. although it's something that I find very funny... Um, <laughs> even but, still? But even still, people... I'm sort of laughing at the fact that I, went, I wrote this thing and I, I went and I learned it and I performed it about five or six times to try things. And, I mean, people just absolutely... Like, this is not what we come and see you for. Um, it, then I, you know, you want to sort of, I suppose... Uh, I sometimes meet people's expectations and sometimes exceed them uh, and sometimes sort of uh, uh, assault their expectations. <laughs> What, but, what can uh, we expect on the subject of medicine, though? This is what I was curious. Well, I suppose in medicine, my, my feeling is that is medicine something where you want to... People talk about, oh, we don't want experts or whatever. You, but you, that, that is what you want. You want to be able to go to people who re- reassure you, uh, essentially. And, uh, and that is, I think, the main job of being a you doctor. Certainly, you don't really want to get your pants down and reveal the rash or whatever it is to somebody who's not an expert, necessarily. Yeah. Is it, is it a... I want them to be an expert in something. It doesn't have to be a medicine. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that's all right, isn't it? Is that? I mean, that's culturally fair. But I, I think, well, I think, doc, I mean, doctors have this great thing where where they can just, if they're confident, that's sort of. I know there's a lot of training involved, but that is an enormous part of the job. And I remember being in a church service once and seeing someone keel over. Uh, uh, I was up in the gallery and someone keeled over, and the guy sitting next to me was a doctor, and he went down and they went, well, there's all this palaver going off, and I saw him going sleep, speaking very calmly. And this person sort of sat up and they calmed down, and he came back up, and I said, what was the matter with him? He goes, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> and I said, what did you say? And he said, oh, I just said I think he's fine. <laughs> and he said that, and the blame... <laughs> you know, it sort of it has an effect on people. One well, of the doctor thinks I'm fine, I'm, I'm fine. You know, it's that, I, I mean, that is presumably not... That's something that you learn over time, and that's sort of part of general medicine rather than a kind it's of... It's the general pattern. I'm not the opposite of the white coat effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, no one takes their clothes off in my surgeries anymore, though. It's the, uh... why, why is that? <laughs> Who got involved? What yeah. happened? <laughs> Beats me. They, they, they took them off before you were an MP, but now they no longer trust you. Yeah. <laughs> you change your initials from GP to MP, and that's what happens. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. so very sad. Given that we're in the festive period, you were very strong, still are very strong, about minimum pricing for alcohol, just to put a slight yeah, dampener look, on the festive uh, spirit. But um, it's been introduced in Scotland, yeah. it was going to be introduced by Cameron here, but then the lobbyists got hold of him. Mm-hmm. But even when they looked at it, uh, Andrew Lansley, they, when they were going to bring it in, it was going to be at such a low level, they checked out and supposedly only one in 4,000 supermarket offers were actually going to be affected by this minimum alcohol well, the pricing. the new one that they've introduced. Yeah, but the, the actual But, but it, was, it was 24 one. cans of Strongbow for a tenner. That was the only one that was... <laughs> And, and you were thinking, no, this not so much actually preventing deaths from alcohol, this is more publicising the supermarket and where you can get yeah. a deal. This was... <laughs> That's the, what we've got now, the below-cost sales, and it's not made any difference. They need proper minimum pricing. Well, it's coming in Scotland. Yeah, it's it, a good idea. And is it, is it an idea that time will come back in England? Yes, I'm sure it will. Because at the moment... Why are these things tried um, out in Scotland? Or like, why is the poll tax, why was that tried out? In, why are they used as this sort of testing? And well, the, the, the poll tax, I think, yeah. was, was administered from West Westminster up there. Now, they're coming up with these ideas on their own. That's what a Scottish Parliament does, Miles, I yeah. understand. Well, Malcolm Rifkin introduced the poll tax in Scotland, didn't he? He's, he's Scottish. I don't think they said, is anyone, is anyone... And he went, well, i tell you who won't mind. My lot. <laughs> what, what, what on earth was going on there? The poll tax finished off the Tories in Scotland 
Iraq finished off Labour. This could be a cunning plan to finish <laughs> off Nicola Sturgeon with the minimum <laughs> price. <laughs> well, at the moment, you think you've got drink aware, haven't you? And drink aware seems to be doesn't seem to have particularly effective campaigns. The idea that we have a lot of people in Britain who don't drink aware. People who have four pints of Stella or whatever start dribbling and punching themselves in the face, <laughs> going, this has come as a complete surprise to me. <laughs> I'd always wondered what it was about my lifestyle that made me, <laughs> made me so aggressive and shirtless. Michael, you've, you've congratulations, by the way. You've recently you've done 45 years at the Garden. I understand they gave you a little uh, a leaving do. Is that right? Did they yeah, new kidneys? Yeah, new kidneys, <laughs> new kidneys, new socks, new new aftershave. <laughs> the, the whole kit. You've you've been a journalist since 1966, since uh, since a dog ran away with a World Cup or whatever it might have been. Your first ever story. What do you make of 2016? Is it as momentous as we think it is? There are years, we all know a few of them, 1789 French Revolution, which stick in every... Everybody knows something important happened. 1815, end of the Napoleonic Wars, century of blah, blah. Then 1914, the bad stuff starts again, and I just had the horrible realisation that, give or take 12 months, we might be in a year where things have changed quite dramatically in all sorts of ways. Everybody knows what I'm talking about. It's been a big year, and things which weren't meant to happen, happened. Brexit, Trump... Uh, That Italian fellow got his spaghetti uh, all over his shirt the other week. And um, there's a lot more coming down the pike. And we used to laugh at Mr Berlusconi, only the Italians could do that. But in fact, he wasn't an outlier. He turns out to have been ahead of the game. Well, let's let's talk a little bit more about Brexit. Immigration being a very big issue for 2016, but not so many immigrants are taking jobs as robots have taken jobs. Yep. When people go into a supermarket and they use a self-checkout, yep. they are effectively saying to the, you know, the checkout assistant, I think I can do your job better than you can. Yep. And you know, obviously the checkout assistant doesn't mind because they think it's one less job for them, but really they should be going scab, 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 shouldn't they? When Nigel... Farage comes back as UKIP leader again, he's going to demand that all those supermarket robots are sent home. (laughs) (laughs) We've had enough. Yeah, back back to the factories. Do you you think they don't mind, though, people? If you're you're, you're a sort of checkout person and you're given the job, your job is to show people how to make these machines work. And if you do your job really well, (laughs) well, we're all going to be signing a card for you in four months because you'll be leaving. I mean, presumably, this is a bittersweet thing. We've sacked all your friends, but you stay just to make sure everyone can definitely use the things that we're replacing you with. So they should be instructing you badly so as you can't use them, so you then have to go to the checkout. But it's what they are doing. I was in a supermarket yesterday. I had to call her back three times every time I touched the machine. It said, finish and pay. Well, I think that's to be applauded. (laughs) Deliberately obstructive behaviour. All doing our bit for Mr Farage. Um, Cutting holes in the bottoms of the bags. On on something, unidentified object in the check... In the the bagging area. In the bagging area. It's me, you fool. <laughs> the, the good news is from the tech revolution, you know, they came after my industry first, uh, which is why newspapers don't make money, even the Daily Mail. But they're coming after Sarah's quite soon, um, talking on Skype. Uh, <laughs> lucky if you get a doctor, get the same robot from the supermarket. Uh, I thought you were talking about politicians for a moment there, but. Uh... A nation mourns. Unidentified, <laughs> unidentified tumour in the baggage. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. 
And would, would you make of our hope of getting a good uh, settlement for Brexit? I mean, if Boris is in charge of those negotiations, he, what did he say to the Italian minister? Well, you'll give us a good deal, otherwise you won't sell enough Prosecco. And you're thinking, well, in two years' time, if Boris is doing it, we... Prosecco will be as expensive as champagne, and champagne will cost the same amount as aftershave or whatever, you know. You won't be able to drink it, just dab it on your ear and have a sniff. <laughs> well, if Boris is there in two years' time, which is one of the big questions, I, can't, I don't see how he's going to make it. You know, the Saudis won't put up with it all the time. He may go to Turkey again. He's been once, which astonishes me. After the limerick, everybody knows about Boris's limerick. I'm sure Miles knows <laughs> no, it by heart. No, no, he no, made up once. a rude limerick to win a £100 prize about the, as it happens, the president of Turkey. <laughs> Five minutes later, he's the foreign secretary, who is, you know, he's asking Erdogan to hold back 75 million Turks personally from all coming in and becoming super... How you can win a poetry competition by rhyming... Ankara with wankara <laughs> is quite remarkable, isn't it? I don't know about this at all, this limerick competition. No, well, it, it's marvellous to know that you're the host of the news quiz. When you were off air, I'm guessing it's when you were off air. If we're off air, I'm, I absolutely don't engage. No. No. Yeah. You've got, I mean, I'll, you just get burnout otherwise. That's know. it. No, I, it's I, nearly, I, 24, I, nearly 24 days a year. <laughs> Is it, uh, is it permitted to look it up? While you're all talking, I'll see if I can you, find you, Boris. No, feel free, yeah, feel free to zone out Boris and do a bit of Googling whilst we're, yeah. we're doing the show. That's, can you, uh, can it won't encourage the Argos audience to do the same at all. Can you see what time Argos closes on Oxford Street? As well? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. OK. Uh, underpants. Um, but the answer to your original question on how good a deal we are going to get... Are you going to Google say, this as well, Michael, or are you, are you happy to <laughs> yeah. give this one off the top of your head? Well, I'm looking up. I'd only say that chances are... Uh, of us getting a good deal are slightly worse than Leicester City of, of doing it again with the Premiership. I'd go that far. It's, it's not going to be good. No, well, whilst, whilst you're working out how your phone works, I'll... I'll, <laughs> I'll Miles, the, uh, you, you yourself thought you were an immigrant. You did a Radio 4 show. Well, you, yeah, you, I you, did. You, you actually convinced you were of uh, Huguenot stock, but then uh, having delved into it, it seems less likely that your, your family tree includes uh, <laughs> oppressed French Protestants and more that you might yeah. well be related to a hipsters down in Brighton. Yeah, <laughs> that is absolutely right, Sandy. Yeah, I thought, well, my father always told me that we were um, Belgian Huguenots, and um, so my brother and I would say things like, well, you know, of course, I mean, we, we were, three or four hundred years ago, our family were immigrants, of course, and that's why we would sort of, that would uh, inform our view on that sort of thing. And then I was going to do a radio programme where I will go back to where, where we were from and uh, sort of do a comedy set about... Um, you know, bittersweet, I suppose, about being um, uh, forced to leave this beautiful country. And um, uh, anyway, but we, this producer was booking up and he said, um, look, we're going to Belgium in three weeks and stuff. I've booked the ferry tickets and uh, I just want a venue. And basically, I want to do it as close to where your family are from as possible. And uh, so I, he said, well, fine, can you ring your dad? It was almost my dad that told me this. So I rang him and I said, look, we're doing this programme. Just where, have you got the name of a village? Uh, and he was like, OK, well, you know, a village or a town? I ran back about half an hour later and said, I have to say, um, I've just spoken to uh, my brother and two of my cousins, and um, no one else thinks this. <laughs> uh, and I thought, God, right, that's slightly extraordinary. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I chased it, and it turned out we got a sort of one of those people that does uh, Who Do You Think You Are, did lots of sort of research and stuff, and said, not only were there never any Jups in Belgium, but it's not a Huguenot name, there were never Huguenots in Belgium. The whole thing is a complete 
fabrication or confusion. Um, that he just made up on his own? I, he, even he his brother didn't back know, him up? He doesn't know where I spoke to my own cousin. He said, I've, ne- I've honestly never heard that. I don't know why you, why you think that. So uh, yeah, we ended up making a programme about the fact that I'm absolutely not Belgian. I've got nothing against them. Um, <laughs> what a way you? to get yourself a Radio 4 show that is, though, isn't it? Yeah, Dream yeah. up some backstory, then, then prove it wasn't true. Yeah. <laughs> you too yeah. could be Foreign Secretary. <laughs> Michael, have you discovered what you were looking well, for? I, I have discovered the, the limerick written by Boris, which won the Spectator Prize. I wondered if we should get Miles, who will come to it fresh, to read it on our behalf. Yeah, so like I, I think he would do, it, do a very uh, fine okay, job. I was going to think how, what a beautiful voice you would have for, for limericks. No, no, I think no. you'll bring something new to it. <laughs> right. Uh, there was a young fellow from Ankara who was a terrific wankerer <laughs> till he sowed his wild oats with the help of a goat but he didn't even stop to thank her. <laughs> that is the winning entry. How many... <laughs> that is... How is that the winning entry? That is absolutely... Right, I'm just going to see what time Argos closes. That, no, how, I how can that be the winning entry? And then did he not go and say uh, directly afterwards, Turkey were going to join the, the European Union, that everybody said it was going to be immediate, wasn't it? That's what the Leave people yeah. were saying. That they'd be joining very shortly. And then everybody said, well, this is rubbish. And then as soon as he becomes Foreign Secretary, he then actually tries to help... Turkey join, doesn't he? Just to piss off everybody else. He's got the most amazing chutzpah, that man, I think. He's just, it's sort of crazy. About three or four days after the Brexit vote, and then his leadership, when he said, actually, I'm not running either. And he was, he had a period, I think, I don't know if he enjoyed it, but about three or four days where they could have made a very good case of him being the most hated man in Britain. Everyone was like, what have you done? You've done this thing, and then walked away. And I was walking down past the sort of Palace Theatre with um, the man who produced the show about me not being a Belgian, and we realised that on, uh, David, we on the traffic island that we were on was Boris, uh, who was there with the cycling helmet on, just sort of gadding about town. And I kind of thought, everybody wants to kill you. What on earth are you doing? I sort of found it slightly admirable that he was going out. My friend went up and said something sort of palliative to him, and, uh, and then he said, and I just said to him, you're, uh, you're keeping me busy at work. And he went, oh, God. And then um, headed off on his bicycle. But you think, why? Uh, in a way, there's sort of, sort of degree of bravery or stupidity about that. He was the most trusted. The poll said Boris was the most trusted man during the campaign, the referendum campaign, on either side. And in fairness to Boris, his story about where he came from stands up a lot better than that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. His great-grandfather was a Turkish politician who came over here, uh, got one of our, uh, our women pregnant, the usual story, married her, married her, be fair, then went back to Turkey where his political opponents, you'll like this bit, Morris, chopped him to death. Uh, and um, uh, his widow sensibly took the uncontroversial English name of Johnson. And that's where Boris is. Boris is, that's where the blonde hair comes from. There's a part of Turkey where there's a lot of it. It's not a bottle job in Boris's case, you know. Lovely. You not did, like you. No need, no, need to, <laughs> no need to Google that one. So yeah. let, let's move on to Trump. They're suggesting at the moment that the way to combat Trump in four years' time is to put Michelle Obama against Trump in four years' time. Now, surely if we've learned anything, Michael, from 2016, uh, it's whoever should go up against Donald Trump is somebody who's not the intelligent wife of a two-term Democrat president. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're onto something there. No, she won't do it. She's a very sane person by the look of her. Uh, no, she, she doesn't want any of that stuff. But what do you make of Trump? I mean, he seems a very horrible character. This is the man who said about his own daughter, you described her as a piece of ass, said that he would if she wasn't his daughter. This is the President of the United States of America. I mean, daughter and his wife actually look quite similar. Very similar haircuts. If you were his daughter, you'd change your haircut, wouldn't you? <laughs> 
Uh, it's a tricky family, that one. Uh, very strange indeed. And this is part of this thing I was saying a minute ago, 2016, a year of change. Dear God, Trump as president? Six months ago, most people were laughing at it, weren't they? He'd say something uh, uh, unusually horrible about somebody. Uh, and um, then it gets worse. We get all the sex stuff doing the election campaign. And uh, people don't seem to mind, or enough people. 48% uh, of those who voted in America <laughs> uh, didn't mind. 52 did, but uh, they didn't have the right votes in the right places. It's extraordinary, and I don't know what's going to happen. It's really scary, except there is one sophisticated explanation for Trump, which is now doing the rounds. People always explain anything if you give them 10 minutes, that the American people who voted for him took him seriously, but not literally. I can imagine them sitting there in cabins in Tennessee uh, saying, like, Pa, don't take him literally, just take him when he says he's going to bomb the Chinese pa, um, uh, and suck up to Mr. Putin. Uh, whereas the media took him uh, literally, but not seriously. Yeah. Uh, now, that's a fairly scary prospect, whichever way you look at it. This but is the it way is, people but talk. But it is scary. It's the way sort of clergymen talk about the Bible, isn't it, when confronted? Oh, you, oh no, no, you don't, don't take it literally. It's just, <laughs> it's just look at the message behind it. That's <laughs> what we need to do. You must understand this. And is there, you know, Trump, then, what, what is then, if you're not taking Trump literally, what are you, what's, what's the thing behind him, then, that people are kind of grabbing onto, that he doesn't really mean? Well, he means that he's angry. I don't know why he's angry. He's a poor little rich boy from New York. Daddy set him up uh, in the property business with 10 or $12 million uh, just to get him started. He's a psychopath and a liar, so far as I can see, and a narcissist. But, but this was the interesting thing, was that Emily Thornberry was there saying, well... Uh, well in she's many... not as bad as that. No, Come no, on. but she was saying... <laughs> she was saying, wasn't she? She was saying that uh, Donald Trump and Jeremy Corbyn in many ways are similar. They're tapping into the same thing. And then you look at Jeremy Corbyn... She didn't, and you think, she didn't say that, did she? She did. She did. Oh, Andy. Yeah, yeah. And there's basically... Wow. Uh, you know, you look at Jeremy Corbyn and he's got a vest... <laughs> he's got an allotment, and his favourite hobby is uh, photographing drains and manhole covers, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't realise that actually photographing drain and manhole covers is actually a recognised hobby. You can get websites, apparently. You'll be able to Google that, Michael. They're called, okay. they're called gridders. Perhaps he's planning some sort of Shawshank-style escape from the whole master. <laughs> Well, the thing is, we, we know he likes a march, now we know why, doesn't he? As he walks along, there's a chance for him to do a bit of spotting. That's what it is. I think the, the basic difference is that Trump is a populist and Jeremy is an unpopulist. <laughs> <laughs> Photographing drains is you know, an obscure hobby, whereas Trump's interest in uh, naked showgirls is more accessible, I think, is the word. <laughs> naked showgirls and his own daughter, if he didn't know it was his own daughter. Uh, his mistakes it, easily made. A Christmas dark. thought. So, um, <laughs> Miles, you, you are now the, the host of News Quiz. You said that uh, when you, you get to talk about subjects now, you're hoping, as the host, that uh, talk be able to talk about bombing of hospitals in Afghanistan. That these if it happens, yeah. yeah I don't the, wanna... Obviously, not, not, to make, not to make it up just because you've got a good joke about it or yeah, whatever. yeah. But when, when you've got a quick turnaround for comedy shows, producers who have to do double-tick compliance, executive producers, lawyers, it, it's much easier for them if you do a little one-liner on a sneezing cat or... Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be safer if we just went with that sort of survey about the way, uh, you know, drainage companies work in Hertfordshire or whatever it is? And that's the sort of battle that you have to fight against, I suppose. There's a sort of... BBC is a corporation that's under attack, I suppose, in the, uh, 
you know, the newsroom has basically been a sort of loaded gun on the table put there by the Conservative government about sort of five years ago saying, it's, you know, it's really good this, isn't it? But obviously, it'd be dreadful if it all had to be dismantled. Uh, but, you know, carry on. <laughs> do, do, do carry on doing what you're doing. Uh, and then so you, then you get this kind of pressure to be neutral, I suppose, which I don't, I don't think people benefit from being neutral. I think if people are making uh, jokes about politics, it's really useful to know what, uh, what perspective they're making them from. And then you yourself, even if you come from a different perspective, can sort of understand that, that joke. I mean, if, you're, if, you're, if, you think, if you think that everything's coming out of some sort of beige centre and then someone makes an anti-Corbyn joke, you think, oh, they must not like Corbyn or hate Labour or whatever it is. Rather than, if you know what people's politics are, then you can, then there's a sort of slight, there's sort of more nuance to it. Um, but I think you have to push those, I'll give an example of a thing that we uh, didn't necessarily, well, we, the, the Savile Inquiry, for instance, Savile Report was published uh, the day that we were recording an episode. And when I arrived on Thursday morning, they were like, yeah, we're not going to cover that. And I said, if we don't cover that, then we're not... Yeah. Tony Hall, he made his speech, you know, he, about the Seven Quiet. He did it on the same stage that we were recording on, sort of six hours later. And you think, we can't not talk about that. We can't do another thing about 5P plastic bags. Uh, you know, this is, <laughs> this is part of the thing. And what's good is that you can say, look, we've got to talk about this. Let's talk about it first. And somebody like Jeremy Hardy uh, is able to come on and sort of uh, answer a question about that and find the humour in it whilst also addressing what it is. Or in the same way, Andy Hamilton... Uh, fielded a question about Hillsborough uh, completely expertly and you, I think if you're not talking about these things what are you doing? I mean also talk about the funny sort of jokes in the margin about all sorts of other things as well but you've got Bring to Bring the audience back with a bit of cats and dogs material but yeah Yeah, 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 that's my sort of standard it, fallback yeah. Is it true that in Deep in the Safe at the BBC there was a joke about Princess Diana which was so funny it was never transmitted and then after the car crash it had to be locked away. I can remember there was, there, was, there was a joke about her that someone made on the news quiz that didn't make the, uh, didn't make the repeat the week that she died, certainly, yeah. but it's not locked in a safe, it's probably, probably on Listen Again somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you could find it if you happen to have any time on your hands, Michael, when you're not... Um, yeah. And you're, you're obviously a big fan of cricket. Now, Theresa May is a big fan of cricket. Apparently her favourite cricketer... Yeah, well, you know, that's like sort of branding, sort of, uh, oh, yeah, well, Hitler was a vegetarian, it's that kind of <laughs> stuff. <you know. laughs> yeah. No, I don't say, don't uh, put us... Well, no, our favourite cricketer is Geoffrey Boycott, apparently, which, <laughs> well, is, which is that, interesting, yeah. isn't it? An interesting yeah. choice for an avowed feminist, shall we say. That sounds like... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Uh, that, <laughs> that sounds like the sort of thing someone's told her to say in a taxi. But no, what if no. they are? I don't mind saying I like cricket, but what if someone says, who's your favourite one? Uh, 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 well, let me get on the Google. Uh, yes, there's one called Jeffrey Boycott, say it's him. That, does, that seems most unlikely well, that would be someone's favourite cricketer. You know, you Not think, someone that had sort of dreams and visions and she, beliefs. She and said several, <laughs> several, several times in an interview, but you're thinking, what would Jeffrey make of leather trousers that cost £995? It would have been a bit fancy dan for Jeffrey. He, he would like to see the shine off them. Yeah, I dare say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he'd like to see the one with a pinny with yeah, holding yeah. a stick of, stick of rhubarb. And yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, I, well, I, I, I imagine he's slightly more thrifty than um, <laughs> Theresa May is. Yeah. But what but, did you personally make it? £995 leather trousers. They'd be saying, well, it's sexist. The, you know, David Cameron had suits that were 3500 yeah. But to me, both are verging on the immoral. 
My, I'm trying to work out most expensive trousers I've ever bought, I reckon, were 200 quid. Most expensive suit, 600 yeah, but quid. Just think and about how good your arse looked in the Mandy. We yeah. were all. Well, Those of us in the comedy so. community talked about little else for about six months. Um, but I was thinking that we're in show business. We're, we're yeah. allowed to be irresponsible dandy peacocks. So aren't we? are they. Well, yes, are that's they? True. They are show business for ugly people. It's an old joke, but it's still a good one. <laughs> but I think, in the way, you, it, is, it does seem completely. It does seem like an odd thing to spend that sort of money on, but I, I, don't, I don't know how much wear you get out of a pair of but, £995 sorry, pound is, is leather trousers. It, what, did, what did you make of this, given that this just about managing idea, with the parliamentary expensive, it doesn't play very well to the public, does it? If people think that politicians' idea of just about managing is having to put sandbags in front of the door because the moat's flooded or, or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Uh, no, I think you're missing the point. The point is gold leather trousers. Girls, who wears gold leather trousers? You are know, they, it's are a crime against fashion. That's the Ooh, thing. Be careful, Sarah. <laughs> they know where you live too. <laughs> I, I think it's just hard to understand the way in which people are so media managed now it just seems to be unlikely that you'd make that mistake what, what are the, I mean how good are the people around her I mean, someone's, hasn't someone, doesn't someone sign off what she oh, wears? Oh, no, come on. She's the Prime Minister. If she wants to wear nice clothes, that's great. You I know, think, well, I think and also, I suppose... No one would have made a fuss about Perhaps any they're men. a birthday gift from yeah. Mr May. It's a nice thought, it's a wholesome great. thought. Yeah, <laughs> leave her alone. I thought yeah, Boris was I great. Lederhosen. That's it what It does they seem are. a lot for a pair of trousers, but if you've ever had, like, sash windows made or something like that, it suddenly pales into insignificance. <laughs> <laughs> They are absolutely crippling. <laughs> Man of the people, Miles Jupp, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Michael, you've been you've been on the news quiz. Sarah, you were on Question Time recently. Either of you fancy uh, going the Ed, Ed Balls route at some point, a bit of Strictly? I mean, he's he's now the, the nation's darling. You know, everybody loves him. This idea. I mean, they only seem to love him, don't they? Because he basically tried hard and was a bit shit. 
<laughs> which was exactly the same qualities he exhibited as a politician. <laughs> if only he'd done the sort of response to the budget Gangnam style, what a, what a politician that man could have been. Absolutely. I, I think he's taken a leaf out of Trump's book. Trump became famous as a reality TV star. Everybody knows who he is. And now everybody knows who Ed Balls is. It's extraordinary change from this hooligan bully that we all knew and didn't always love to this chap. He could probably stand in a traffic island and people would wave at him, Miles. <laughs> well, I think so. He's, it's a, yeah. it's a, but it's a quick turnaround and you yeah. don't necessarily trust a quick... I don't, know, I don't understand why it could be like a redemptive experience being on uh, Strictly and yet it sort of seems to be... Watched, we were talking about the dressing room, someone like um, you know, Michael Portillo has undergone a sort of... Uh, he's slightly viewed differently by the public than he... I mean, if you know... I hope you're not being risque here. Uh, no, not at all. But if you think about the way people were treating him in May 1997, and now you sort of think, yeah, what does he think about the railways? I don't mind listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, I met Michael Portillo, and he said uh, he didn't believe that uh, any transport should have to run at a, uh, at a profit. It should all be subsidised. And I thought, people didn't know that about you. Miles, the... Um let, let's, we, we, time is pressing on, but you, you have a book deal. You're in and out of the kitchen, your TV series and radio series. You give recipes that... Uh, I, I read one interview for these where you say that the recipes you've never actually made, um, but you assume that they would be edible, <laughs> <laughs> apart from the one that you gave for a hangover cure. Now, obviously, with it being the Christmas period, um, oh. I, I checked out. It was called The Heart Starter. Your recipe for a hangover that is cure. Episode, it was episode three, one of the radio. Three series, shots yeah. of vodka, 300 millilitres of tomato juice, and two resolve tablets right. mixed, drunk quickly, repeat as necessary. Right. Now, you well, know what like comedy still... obsessors are like. There are going to be some people who've tried that, you've let them down, surely. I... Not. They will, be, they will have pretty fizzy kidneys, won't they? Um, I, I think that sounds like something I wrote when I was still finding his voice. Uh, that's <laughs> unrepresentative of him. Yeah, I, I do... Um, I, yeah, I, well, I look at sort of recipes that are in sort of common sort of ownership, I suppose. You know, you, so you look at sort of six or seven different recipes for sort of spaghetti bolognese or whatever it is, and then I rewrite and change all the sort of amounts and change some of the ingredients or whatever, and it's really about how he... Uh, hopefully the funny in there is really about how he describes things he's not a, you know he's a very pedantic man and whatever so he's it's sometimes it's it's the sort of area of jokes in the margin you might call them where it, you know he'll say things like a, a handful of honey uh, and things like that that are <laughs> clearly un, uh, unhelpful and impractical with the sort of thing that he has time for but i get very nice letters from people saying oh yes i've cooked the um the chicken curry uh, recipe and um, it's, you know my father's not been well and it's the only thing that he's eaten this month and i think oh gosh that's a real responsibility actually and um, <laughs> Uh, you know, that's, that's a very nice sort of thing to get from someone, but you think, I do, they, they are within the ballpark of safety. I don't look at something that's like a recipe that works and think, right, well, I'm going to change that. I'm going to sort of add two bottles of wine where it says a glass and I'm going to swap mints for vodka or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. I think, I think they are genuinely safe to eat. Well, um, and I can't, I can't endorse them any further than that. <laughs> Talking of things that are safe to eat, there was, uh, they were discussing, weren't they, for the psychoactive drugs legislation that came through in 2016, um, they were discussing nutmeg. They were thinking, was this going to be banned by Because apparently nutmeg is psychoactive. Now, in the time when it's all time for eggnog, this is worth knowing, isn't it? <laughs> and amazing. I did some research. Apparently, a Czech physiologist... <clears throat> I didn't say that very well, but you, you got the gist of what I was trying to say. <laughs> he ingested three nutmegs and a glass of wine... And apparently he said he recorded having headaches, nausea, hallucinations and a sense of euphoria 
for three days. So quite why you'd be euphoric, getting headaches and nausea, I have no idea. How do you ingest nutmeg? You just grate it and then snort it? Or I guess so. We need to ingest aware. Is that what we need to do? Well, I think in the sort of, if you lives in the Czech Republic as well, there's so much fun on offer there. I mean, <laughs> it could just presumably that can't be the only thing he did that day. He'd probably also sort of been in a beer hall and drunk sort of nine pints of refreshing lager and started a fight with a tram or something like that. <laughs> like that. It's just, Maybe you could imagine that you were possibly, uh, you know, your family tree comes from Czechoslovakia. Oh, yeah. There's an idea yeah, for a Radio 4 show there. Yeah, the old, yes, on the old... We were, Not that I should say Czechoslovakia, that dates we my geography a little bit, I think, but uh, It's interesting you should say that. No, I come from a long line on my mother's side of uh, nutmeg merchants. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I think, I think this one would make more of a sort of television travelogue. So, yes, I'll, yeah, yeah, why not? So, Sarah, you, in fact, you come down from my neck of the woods. You're, uh, you represent uh, Totnes. Totnes down in South Devon. Um, Totnes leading the world, transition town, the first ever transition town. Now, I don't know if you've heard of transition towns, but this idea of local sustainability, isn't it? Community, quite, you know, the idea of food inches rather than, than food miles. Now, if you know Totnes, it's amazing that they're leading the world, that they're so well organised, because it's basically a bunch of hippies, isn't it, Sarah? <laughs> We've got our own currency as well. That's it, the Totnes Pound. They can put you on lead, the pound. Leading, leading, well, we try, and get, we try and get everybody to do something in between shows for the Selectivist Action Group. So if you, you want to find out more about trying to get your town to be part of the Transition Network, transitionnetwork.org, you can uh, check that out. But also um, Share Energy Co-op, where they're saying if people are sure, you can join this uh, co-ownership of uh, Small Wind Co-op. And uh, you, you can actually, apparently, sustainability and all the rest of it, for 100 quid for your shares, you can actually insist on having your turbines run the electricity for your house, which is, which is quite brilliant, isn't it? You know, when Storm Barbara kicks in next week or whatever, everybody else having a miserable time, your quid's in. So, have people got some questions for the, um, for the panel? We may have a time for two. You go for it, sir. Uh, so, in the States, you've seen, you've seen marijuana kind of be legalised in a number of states? Do you think that's going to come to the UK? Do you think it should be legalised? You know, we're some way off, but a lot of people are predicting it's going to happen in the next 10 years. It's it, uh, yeah, Colorado, it seems to be working. What do you make of that, Sarah? I think we should look at the evidence about what happens in the states, and I think there's certainly a case for actually going to a route where we treat it as a medical issue rather than a criminal issue. So uh, I think there's... Uh, but let's look at the evidence from the States as it emerges and see what model we should go for. Use here. them as guinea pigs and then we'll see what's the best <laughs> idea. It'll probably be legalised in Scotland first. <laughs> Did you want to ask a question, sir? So Boris Johnson, there was that leaked conversation with Darius Guppy, his mate at school, where he discussed how much he would hurt a journalist. Um... I don't have any question. I just wanted to keep that in the public consciousness. Thank you very much. <laughs> Unless people have opinions on... Brilliant. On well, I mean, we like could pass the power. microphone around the audience where everybody just tells a fact about Boris that they'd like everybody else not to forget. That's, that's the thing for Christmas. Pass on to your loved one. If you're making your own Christmas crackers, just write some quote or something from Boris and we can all read it out over the Christmas yeah. meal and go, my God, this man is our foreign secretary. <laughs> Let me tell you what we have got coming up for the Selective Action Group. The January show is uh, it's usually the last Monday of the month. Uh, Russell Kane is coming along. We've got Pete Wishart, MP, 
He used to be in big country with their top, top selling single in a big country. There we go. <laughs> and we'll also have Bryony Gordon from The Telegraph. February, we've got Owen Jones from The Guardian. We've also got Dan Jarvis MP and we've got Joe Caulfield. And in March, the 27th of March, Jess Phillips MP, Rich Hall, and we've got Hugo Rifkind from The Times. So should be, should be some great lineups. Please come back. If you listen to this on the podcast, feel free to get in, in contact, andyparsons.co.uk. Subscribe, please, if you're doing it. We'll just give you a moment now to have a little subscribe. <laughs> there we go, they've done that now. That's all perfectly well worked. But please spread the word. Our catchphrase here at the Slacktivist Action Group, if a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing, we are lethal. So <laughs> hopefully we have been lethal tonight. Thanks very much to, uh, to the panel. If Miles is on tour, as we, we have Songs of Freedom, there may be some stuff that's lying about his Belgian background. You now know <laughs> the truth, but go and see him. Other tours are available, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> check, check the website out for details. <laughs> um, but I hope you all have a brilliant Christmas. Go easy on the eggnog. But yeah, I hope, hope it's absolutely fantastic. You haven't got an excuse this year. If it gets to Christmas Eve and you haven't actually bought a present for a small child, this, this is the year to do it, obviously, because you can just go to them, well, I'm terribly sorry, but due to Brexit, Santa's not been allowed into the country. So, <laughs> too cruel. I wasn't sure if it was the best way to end the podcast. I've done it now anyway. So, <laughs> thank you very much for coming today. Please give a big round of applause for our three guests. Dr. Sarah Wallace MP, Michael White, Miles Jupp. Thank you and good night. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.